Well, hi there. This is Jim Meskimen, and this is my podcast. And uh, for those of you who've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you're aware that um, that this is the first podcast that I haven't really done a podcast yet. So, uh, welcome, welcome to my podcast, and I'd like to welcome me also to it. And uh, you know, I finally got worn down. Uh, obviously, you need a podcast like you need a driver's license in Los Angeles. You just have to have one. <laughs> and, uh, I'm not sure when people ever get time to absorb all this entertainment and information, but we are getting, uh, you know, we're getting it from every side. So why not add just another side? Actually, I did a really, I've done a lot of other people's podcasts. I did the Piat Waltzuk, uh, or rather Piat Michael podcast. I keep wanting him to change his name to the Piatcast. I think that would be good marketing. And today I did uh, Melissa Via Senores. And I don't know. I finally I realized, well, I could have my own. So isn't that fascinating? Um, anyway, uh, today happens to be also uh, I think I'm, I've instigated myself to, to begin something because today, of course, was the day we all found out that Robin Williams passed away. Not just passed away, but uh, apparently, unless uh, the reports come back differently, killed himself, ended his own life. And, uh, you know, it's just devastating. And everybody has something to say about it. I've I made a little video about it. But, I, you know, I don't know what to say exactly, except, except that it uh, it's a big lose. It's a big lose for everybody, you know. Uh, when the great clown decides he can't go on anymore and his life is just too painful, it, it doesn't bode well for the rest of us who are, you know, fair to middling clowns. Um, and then I have a sort of a strange uh, relationship to Robin Williams. I'm a kind of a, I'm sort of, yeah, I was thinking today I'm sort of a sub-sub-subcontractor in the Robin Williams magic in that I have, uh, uh, you know, done his voice professionally for various projects uh, with his blessing for quite a while. And, uh, you know, so I very regularly try to evoke uh, the magic of his personality through, you know, just the sound of it. I don't often get to choose what I'm going to say. I usually have a script, but um, I'm trying to emulate, you know, some of the characters he's done. And uh, and then I do it in my show. In fact, I realized with a kind of a start that uh, today, after about 15 or 20 minutes of, you know, confusion, that, oh, my goodness, uh, you know, I made Robin Williams the hub of my show, the, the central point of my current one-man show, Jimpressions. And it's funny because I've been feeling strangely like I needed to reboot that show and now I absolutely have to absolutely have no choice I've been booted out of my own show so that hence the reboot and uh, so that's odd you know I I met him a couple times here and there just briefly and then you know the funny thing too is that uh, in 1970 I don't know six or whenever it was that he uh, appeared on Happy Days all right well my mother is Marion Ross who played Richie's mom, and uh, I was not there the night that uh, Mork from Ork, that character was introduced on Happy Days. A lot of people have forgotten that it was. Um, I And I, I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling that Gary Marshall just discovered him in a comedy club somewhere. Um, but that may not be the case. He may be auditioned for it. I don't know. But um, it was such a home run, that um, that role um, and, and that episode, and then it launched... His television career, which was innovative, which was fascinating and and 
experimental and uh, uh, deconstructivist and rebellious and revolutionary. And from that grew his incredible film career. And, and then he became the guy who, I don't have to tell you this, but I'm just saying it out loud, he became the guy who sort of represented, uh, oh, that's a neat part, you know. Let's let, we need someone special to do that unusual role that, that really is a very unique, one-of-a-kind role. We need someone that will bring to it what that part deserves, like Peter Pan and Hook or many of the other, the myriad interesting roles that he did. And he became, well, let's get Robin Williams, and everyone would go, okay, fine. Search is over. Because he played a particular kind of chord for everybody, which was invention, liveliness, creativity, rebelliousness, mischief, this chord uh, so well and over and over again. And, uh, and as a boy growing up, too, having it so close to me and my world, you know, working on my mom's show. And when I saw it happen, I was uh, tickled. Uh, you know, the boy in me was like, oh, this is a great show. This is, I, I still remember many moments from that original Mork and Mindy pilot. I don't remember the Happy Days one so much, but I remember the pilot very much. He threw the egg up in the air and said, fly, little friend, be free. And it just came apart. So the boy in me appreciated that. The entertainer or the, the, the future actor in me went, Doggone it. He got there before I did. And, of course, I never would have got there. Not there. Because his take on it was completely unique. But I had real serious kind of, yeah, jealousy. Professional jealousy, artistic jealousy, whatever you want to call it. Like, doggone it. <laughs> look at what this guy, he's only eight years older than I am. And look what he's done. Look what he's gone and done. He's nipped me in the bud. And... Um, so, you know, that's a strange kind of relationship to have with somebody. I later on became, a, you know, a fan, but I, I never forgot the sort of jealous pangs that I had. I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm sure there are plenty, plenty of young and old men that were very jealous at what he was able to pull off uh, and, and, and be given license for and just take license for. So it is a loss uh, for sure. And in the end, you know, it's like a significant thing. It's like... Of all the people of that era and of all the voices that I do, all the celebrities, I mean, I wake up in the morning and I think, is Jack Nicholson still alive? Is Morgan Freeman still alive? You know, because they, they, they're they in my roster and uh, I'm not squeamish about portraying uh, people that are dead, but there's a certain, uh, you know, a certain change in attitude when all of a sudden you, you whip out a celebrity uh, Ross Marquand, I'm sure, feels this about James Gandolfini. He does a magnificent James Gandolfini. When James Gandolfini died last year or whenever it was, it was like, oh, well, that's got to put that one on ice for a while until until we're out of the grieving phase, you know. Uh, and so there's, I never would have thought that Robin Williams would have been like coming up uh, in the mortality list, and I'm sure he didn't either. I hope not. My own father actually... Um, uh, took himself out of the game, too, come to think of it. Uh, he was not 63, and he was not, uh, he did not represent for me invention and liveliness and uh, lightheartedness. But uh, it's an interesting thing, isn't it, when someone decides, I, you know, I can't go there with my imagination. I can't, you know, I've, I've been up and down like we all are, but I, I have never just gone, well, maybe, let's see. How could I do it? 
I, I've never gone there, and I hope that I never get that low. And uh, But it is a tremendous irony when somebody who seems to have, a dedi- have dedicated their life to making other people be delighted ends that career with making everybody feel really crappy. And uh, I'm sure, though, that he wasn't thinking of of the effect that he was going to create. He was probably just thinking of the agony and discomfort that he was going through spiritually. And um, anyway, wow, it's a great way to start a podcast. But uh, there you go. I mean, I, I, I wanted to thank him. I never got a chance to really thank him personally, uh, not just for the opportunities that, uh, you know, him being him, uh, uh, that were created for me by because I became a, a, an impressionist that one of my specialties was doing Robin Williams. Uh, I did it on America's Got Talent. I did it for Disney. I did it uh, many, many times. And um, I never got a chance to thank him. So thank you, Robin, wherever you are. And hurry back. Um, the night before, ironically enough, or I guess it's not ironically, but in contrast, in in, in stark contrast, we took our daughter, uh, my wife Tamara and I took our daughter to see uh, Paul McCartney at Dodger Stadium. He hadn't been there in 50 years. In the meantime, he'd written a lot of songs. Uh, that was a fantastic concert. And if you see Paul McCartney, which I, I did from a distance, and, you know, it was a speck from where we were, but those gigantic screens, God love them, those jumbotron screens, he looked 100 feet tall, which was good. Uh, you need to be a 100-foot tall performer if you're going to do Dodger Stadium. Uh, his body and his youthfulness and his manner are just staggering because he, he moves around like a... I don't know, 30-year-old rock and roller? And and better than a lot of 30-year-old rock and rollers I've known. Uh, I mean, as far as just posture. <laughs> it was just extraordinary. And, of course, the music. What are you going to say? Everybody knows the songs. They are timeless. They are gifts to the world. Now, there's a guy who, whether he thought of it or not, I'm sure he did. I mean, it seems like he did. He dedicated himself to the delight of the planet. And uh, he continues to create things that are interest, of interest to him and are just staggeringly, flawlessly marvelous in terms of their artistic quality. Everybody loves them. My God, they make people ha- They really make people happy. And everybody was super happy at Dodger Stadium. We arrived really late because the traffic was just horrendous getting to Dodger Stadium. And uh, we had to park so far away. I think we were in another zip code, up a hill way above Dodger Stadium. I mean, Dodger Stadium was like a glow in the distance when we finally parked. We had to hike down, and they had temporary lighting up. And we were like, wow, this is a schlep. It took us about maybe 15 minutes at a good pace to get to Dodger Stadium to find our seats. And along the way, we heard the music, of course, coming over the hill. And it was very funny because the, the Doppler shift or whatever was uh, in the, the acoustics as that sound was banging around inside that chamber. When it finally reached us, we, we were singing along with it. It was hilarious. It's a very weird sound. But then we got up there, and it was very comfortable, very marvelous. Uh, we got a lot of secondhand smoke. And uh, and then we left early because we were so concerned about how far away our car was and how long it would take us to get back to civilization that we wound up leaving uh, before, I think, into the first encore, and there were probably more. 
And then today, I, 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 you know, with kind of my hands covering my face, I looked online to see, and luckily, I didn't read what I, what I thought I would read about. And in the third encore, they brought Ringo on, something horrible like that. That didn't happen, so I was very pleased. Uh, Paul McCartney. You know, when you have, and we all have this relationship with Paul McCartney that's extraordinary. You know, if Paul McCartney killed himself, that would be it. <laughs> I think all of us would find the nearest uh, river to jump in. But uh, he doesn't seem to be bent that way, thank God. He's, he's, seems to be a pretty untroubled guy, actually. He seems to be uh, absolutely... Um... That's the wonderful thing about Paul McCartney, too. I don't do a very good impression of him, as I've just demonstrated. But don't you love to hear him talk about just about anything? He's got the most wonderful, yeah, sort of laid-back manner. Oh, yeah, very sensible, say things like, of course, yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. And he chatted like that during his show a lot, those people that were there. No, he just made it feel like an intimate venue of 60,000 or how many people fit into Dodger Stadium. So I, I dug it a lot. I you really remember did. the first time you heard a Beatles song? Uh, thank you, Uncle Dundee. I, I, I do remember, in fact. Uh, well, you should let people know, because the history is interesting, and they're going to want to know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I could. there's probably a lot of things I could well, share. I'm just saying, uh, this is your first podcast, isn't it? Yeah. Not like you do a lot of podcasts. Well, uh, that remains to be seen. I apologize, folks. Uh, Uncle Dundee is here in the booth with me. I didn't uh, introduce him, and I, I don't intend to. Back in 1956, I did a radio broadcast with the late Steve Allen. Nobody wants to hear about I... uh, the late Steve Allen for a variety of reasons, Uncle Dundee, but thank you anyway for bringing it up. Uh, where was I? You were talking about Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic show. Just great. And when the, when the Live and Let Die number went off and the fireworks went off, it was... It was wonderful, wonderful showmanship, and just you know when you think about it, we paid about I don't know about a hundred bucks a piece for tickets and maybe a little more for parking, even though it was in Flagstaff, Arizona, and uh, what a value! I mean, you could go and see a Broadway show that you went Phew, for a hundred and twenty-five dollars or maybe a hundred fifty dollars. This was a Broadway show. Uh, the multimedia stuff made it a movie. It was a fireworks show, and it was a a reunion. You know, and it was uh, so many things, and a stage show, of course, and and rock and roll, and and history, and and a night outdoors under under a super moon. That was a super moon last night. That was, and I tell you what, rounding the hill and looking up over Dodger Stadium and seeing the super moon, it was pretty impressive. I tell you what. So it was great. Um, I'm going to play right now a little uh, segment of something that I think you'll enjoy too. I want to include in my podcasts. Uh, uh, some uh, additional material. Uh, my good friend Tate Rupert and I, we love to improvise. And uh, this is a little something from our library of ridiculousness. Hello and welcome back to Book Talk. With us here today is a famed manual writer, uh, Livingston Dartell. Uh, Livingston, you've written manuals for over 5,000 companies. Mm -hmm. That's remarkable. And I, I'm glad that you decided to come into the studio today on Book Talk to talk about your first work of fiction. And that's a big departure from writing manuals, isn't it? 
boy, it sure was. I, and, uh, you know, I didn't credit that it would be uh, quite as challenging as it was. And now that it's over, I can look back. And uh, I think if I'd known then what I know now, I probably wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have even tried to do it. But uh, it's over and done with. And, uh, well, it is what it is. Well, it's a fantastic book. It's a murder mystery. It's mm-hmm. a murder at Darkstone Moor Cabins, which th- even the title itself, I was expecting a castle, but Darkstone Moor cabins. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, the first chapter is fantastic. Uh, you've, you do veer off a little yes, bit. Yes. Well, I figured, uh, you know, if we're going to... Uh, first of all, the location, Darkstone uh, Moor Cabins, uh, is, is one that I made up. Uh, it's based on a, a summer camp that I used to go to mm-hmm. uh, in Paramus, New Jersey. Right. And uh, where they had, uh, you know, real set up uh, what they called Indian cabins. Of course, they weren't Indian cabins because the Indians used... Uh, completely other sort of shelters, but um, you know they had at this particular one they had mannequins of Indians around the uh, the park. Right. Uh, so I did want to set the stage very clearly, and so I wanted the reader to be able to picture in their mind the environment very well. And so I gave them instructions on how to build the cabins. Right. Yes, and uh, that's where I said it did veer off a little bit. You did. Mm-hmm. You set up a, a wonderful premise, mm-hmm. and uh, when the old colonel is murdered, and uh, he is found floating in the lake, but then we go back to the cabins and uh, easily 30 pages on how to construct that the cabin. The light fixtures in that cabin were very complicated, and I wanted to make sure that, that uh, people didn't get um, confused or disoriented, uh, figuratively speaking, in, in the dark, uh, not knowing where to step. And so I thought it would be a good time at that juncture, particularly because it was a night scene, uh, to, to at least lay out some of the schematics of how they would put up fluorescent lighting and uh, also the the uh, incandescent uh, outside lamp. Right. Well, you, you can. It's a gripping uh, fiction, and it's a. It's a. You want to figure out how it's done. You you really want to see if you can get ahead of you, the author, to see <laughs> how it worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I notice now, uh, I'm flipping in the head. I've got a copy here. We're up to chapter uh, fifteen. Right. And in chapter fifteen, uh, another character is introduced. Um, a manufacturer from Bell Helicopter. Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, you, he arrives in a helicopter and uh, easily another 57 pages describing the, the tail workings uh, manufacturer of that Bell Helicopter. The character of Milton Gray, who does work for Bell Helicopter, is, is key because uh, he's, uh, he's, not, uh, he's a little bit of a red herring. Uh, he, we think he's the murderer because he comes from out of nowhere, but he did have a relationship with the victim. And, uh, you know, everything's sort of... I, I, I wove it as I, I've studied other mystery novels that I really respect. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you. Hmm? you. You had said he did have a relationship with... With the victim. With the victim. Yeah. And I noticed that, too. But mm-hmm. all you say is uh, uh, Captain Gray knew the colonel. Mm-hmm. Well, I felt that was that, enough. I mean, that was all you had said about times, a relationship. Yeah, I, I, again, admittedly, I, I may have been over my head. I... I I tried to lay some pipe, uh, as as it were, uh, to sort of infer some things that, that I. Well, there again, the you did. You told in. us how to lay pipe mm-hmm. uh, yes, and so how to irrigation, add, pipe, irrigation yeah. pipe in the cabin. Right. Well, again, uh, when I read a, a novel and I hear about, for example, I read about uh, a mystery that took place in the in the desert uh, in, in the old west or the old southwest in Arizona, and I. Uh, you know, there was interesting characters, interesting action taking place, but I was always concerned, did they have a cistern? What sort of a water storage system did they have set up? Are these people, in fact, you know, the people that I'm getting involved in and very invested in, are they going to die of thirst? Right. And I would have, for me, as a reader, I would have appreciated knowing yes. how to set up a simple water reclamation system that would uh, right. have some potable water 
always for these characters that um, you, you care about them. Right. Well, look, I, I want to thank you for coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is a great book, and I will re- suggest to the readers at the end, you do do everyone a service by listing all the uh, code regulations for everything. That's right. It's, it's made it, turned it into, unfortunately, uh, it was supposed to be a 200-page book, and instead now it's a, a 2,000 782-page book. So hopefully that's not going to put people off. Uh, you know, your listeners, I'll just say, the real the real story is only about 200 pages. The rest of it is all just uh, right. indexes and diagrams. Thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. Okay, hope you enjoyed that. Well, uh, and that's about all I have to say tonight. I really want to just kind of talk about uh, Paul McCartney and uh, Robin Williams and uh, wish him farewell, thank him, and thank you for listening. Um, and I will do this podcast again and again until I get it right. Oh, see, this is important. Watch The Impression Guys, my series on YouTube with the incredibly talented Ross Marquand, directed by Ben Shelton, written by Ben Shelton. Uh, go to uh, YouTube, uh, click on uh, Soul Pancake, the Soul Pancake channel, and if you can find it, find The Impression Guys. It's not very prominent on the Soul Pancake channel yet, but I hope it will be soon. We've got new episodes coming out. There's six up there now, and there will be seven more launching in October. So you want to catch up with the story and see how it's all going. They're 22 minutes long, about as long as this podcast. Uh, But you'll get to see things, including some very lovely girls. So that's always good. Uh, Okay, check out The Impression Guys, and I'll talk to you soon.